Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Well, this morning we are going to continue our sermon series called The Two Directions of life. And last week we kicked off this sermon series. This is just a short sermon series, two sermons, uh, two weeks. And we wanted to, at the beginning of the year or near the beginning of the year, spend a couple weeks talking about discipleship. So as the discipleship pastor, I am want and eager to talk about discipleship. So uh, we built this two-part teaching series to introduce us this year to the Christian life and introduce us to discipleship and how we grow in Christ. Last week, we began that series and we introduced this idea of these two directions. And there was this moment where a lawyer came up to to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? In all the Old Testament, all the law, what is the one commandment that is the most important? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he said something interesting. He said, the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there plainly, Jesus teaches us something, that our life is lived in two directions. It's lived vertically, how we deal and how we live with God, love the Lord our God, all of our heart, mind, and soul, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And then it's a horizontal direction. So there are two directions to life, vertical, how we deal with God, how we live with God, and horizontal, how we deal with others and live with others. Last week, we talked about that vertical direction. If you weren't here last week or you didn't worship with us online, I encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon or watch that sermon. You, if you have a smartphone, you can actually download the New Life Lutheran app. You can get videos for past sermons, a live stream if you need to worship with us from home. You can have a podcast with all of our sermons right there on the app. We also are under construction a little bit. We have lots of other resources, a Bible reading plan, a discipleship podcast that you can listen to to grow in your faith and also future uh, content for life groups are gonna be through that app. So there's lots of cool things happening on that app. Go ahead and download it and you can catch up in that first sermon later this week. But to recap just briefly, when we talk about this life with God, when we talk about how we deal with God, uh, we heard something really interesting last week from Ephesians chapter two, and it's this, that this this vertical life is a one-way street. God is the one who saves, God is the one who grows. God is the one who does everything. That we're in fact dead in our our trespasses. And dead things don't grow. Dead things don't change. Dead things don't want things. They're just dead. And we are dead in our trespasses until God saves us. Until God comes to us and serves us and loves us, which he wants to do. We heard this hard truth that we're not good enough not smart enough, not funny enough, not a good enough coworker or spouse. But despite not being enough, God still loves us. And because God loves us, he gives us value. And so we are enough in Christ. 
that God actually assigns us the value that we so long to have. We talked about how this gives us a lot of confidence and a, a sense of security in God that we don't get out in the world. In the world, there's no security. In the world, we just have to keep trying hard enough and we know that we're never going to measure up to the next person. There's always somebody who's smarter, always somebody who's richer, always somebody who's more successful. There's no security. We always are striving. But in God, there's a lot of security because he's the one who saves us, he's the one who grows us, and he's the one who transforms us. And as I was thinking about that this week, leading into this next uh, passage when we talk about this horizontal life, I was reminded of something of my childhood. And growing up when I was in grade school, uh, we would oftentimes, not oftentimes, a couple times, take trips to this place called Science City in Kansas City. And it, Science City was like an educational children's museum. And to be completely honest with you, I don't remember a lot about Science City, but there's one thing that, I, that stuck in my head and that I remember very clearly, and, uh, and, and I thought of it this week as I was thinking about this sermon. And this is what I remember. This is one of the activities that they had at Science City. Now, I wanted to get a nice big picture of what this, what's going on here. So I know it might be a little bit difficult to see up there, but what you have up there is you have a child up there at the top of the picture, and the child is on a bicycle, and the bicycle is on a wire. And the child is out on this wire, on this bicycle, with, I don't know, what might be a 50-foot drop below them. Now, there's a net there to catch a child and chase in case he does drop, but there's also something hanging off the bike. And what's hanging off the bike is this shelf that has all this weight on it. So I, can't, I think this was called the air bike, but I can't remember exactly what it was called. But it was this really fun thing that you would get on it and you could pedal forward or pedal backwards and you would go along this wire. So you'd get strapped up in this harness and you'd sit on the bike and you would pedal forward and you would go over this 50-foot drop and you would go over this wire and it was like you were on a, you know, on like a trapeze or you were like a high, a high wire act. And the thing is that even if you jerked the bike from side to side the weights on the bottom worked as like a counterweight and it would always balance you back. So the bike can't actually, it's not able to flip all the way over. Like it's not able to tip over enough that the child could fall off. And of course, you know, the child's in the harness and everything too. But it was a lot of fun because you get strapped in and you go over this like scary, I mean, you're just like, there are people walking underneath you. It's terrifying. But you know when you're on this bike because of these weights, because of this harness, you know that even no matter how far you go on one side or the other, like, you know, you can jump up and down and we would try, right? Me and my friends, when it was our turn, we would try to tip it over. We would try our hardest to fall off of it and you just can't. Because of those counterweights, because of the harness, because of all these things, there's a lot of security that attaches you to this bike. And the vertical direction of our life, our life with God, is a little bit like that. Where we're pedaling along, we're living our life, we're trying our best and sometimes we sin and we tip over. Sometimes we get things wrong, we tip over. Sometimes we get a little bit too excited about something and we, we get a little, you know, we fall into sin a little bit. Or we, right? It's never a straight line. It's never an easy path. But with God, no matter how much you go from side to side, no matter how much you mess up, you're always brought back into balance. God always brings you back. And really what we see is the only way that you can fall off is if you jump off, right? That's really the only way that you can fail. But there's really no catastrophic failure in the Christian life. 
As long as we're with God and we're pedaling and we're doing our thing, yeah, we may tip from side to side, we may get some things wrong, but we're never going to fall off because God has us. He secures us. And so we would get on this bike and we would have a lot of confidence. And we would pedal as hard as we could. We would have all this fun. And that's the life that we can live because God loves us. He, is, he serves us. He has gone the distance for us to bring us into his fold, to call us his children. So we have this security and this confidence in God. So this vertical life, because we can do nothing to earn God's love, because we can do nothing to lose God's love, we can have confidence and we can have discipline and we can have health and we can have purpose in our life. So God does all of the growing. He does all of the saving. Now, at the end of last week, um, I think that there were some questions that need to be addressed. Because the questions that you might have had might be like this. Okay, so if I was baptized as a child, as a baby, and I was confirmed when I was 13, 14 years old, if God made all these promises to me that I would live with him forever, that I would go to heaven when I die, does that mean that my ticket is punched? That I'm on the train? And no matter what happens, I get to go to heaven? Do I ever need to think about God? Or do I ever need to attend to him? Or is now just my ticket punched and I can just go on with my life? Or maybe you, ask, you might ask this. Since God does all the growing and God does all the saving, should I even try to be better? If I, if I know that I can't get better on my own, should I even try? Or maybe I shouldn't try at all. And maybe you ask this question, if God does all the growing, if God does all the saving, will I never get over my sin? Will I never get over my brokenness, my trauma, my, the, the abuse that happened to me? Will I just never get over those things? Will I never grow because God does all of it? And the answer that we're going to see today is not at all. Not at all. That just because God saves us, just because God grows us, does not mean that we do absolutely nothing. Because we're going to see here that there's a change in us once we are saved. That something is given to us that wasn't there before. And this is what Paul writes. He says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love, become slaves to one another. So when God saves us, when God redeems us, what he does is that he gives us freedom. He says, you were dead, but now you're alive. You were in the flesh, but now you're in Christ. And then he plants us into the new creation now and in front of us is this vast expanse of opportunities and challenges in life that then we have to face. He says, uh, right here, Paul says that we have freedom. We are called to freedom. It means we are no longer slaves to our sin. We are no longer slaves to our shame. We are no longer slaves to our guilt. Now we are free. And Paul gives a warning here. He says this freedom is not for your self-indulgence. So there is no category of, now I'm saved and I get to do whatever I want. 
Because our freedom in Christ is not so that we can go on sinning. It's not so that we can enjoy all the pleasures of this life and not have to worry about any of the consequences. That's not at all what this means. In fact, if that was what it means, God would be a really bad father. <laughs> if that's what that did mean. So my kids, I have two, two boys, uh, under three and a half. Our littlest one just had his second birthday on Friday. And uh, if, as a good father, they have a lot of freedom in our household. They can play how they want. They can um, play with what they want. They, there's a lot of freedom for them in my house. I, like, I love to play with them. I love to play what they want to play, the imaginative play, all this stuff. But certainly there are rules, aren't there? Because my oldest son, he loves sweet foods. He loves sugary foods. And we really don't have sugary foods in our house that much. But oftentimes he'll ask, Dad, I want something sweet. And I'm like, Augustine, even if we had cookies in our house, which we don't, I wouldn't give you one right now because it's 4.30 and we're about to have dinner, right? I would be a bad father if I just gave my kids everything they wanted whenever they wanted. And that's certainly what not, that's not what God does to us either. He does not let us just be self-indulgent toddlers where we get to live however we want with no consequences. No, he says here that this freedom that we have, this security, this confidence that we have in Christ is for a specific purpose, to love one another. The confidence and security that we have in Jesus Christ, because we are new creatures in him, is for love, is so that we can serve each other better. It's to love our neighbors. So our life is now no longer about us. It's about everybody else. It's about serving and loving those around us, serving and loving our neighbors. This freedom is given to us to love our neighbors. So now we have freedom in this, dealing with other people. How do we deal with other people? How do we deal with our neighbors? And there's, um, before we jump, before we keep going forward, I want to, I want to clarify what I mean by neighbors, because there's a lot of talking abstractly about, well, everyone's my neighbor. And so then we think that we can like give money to some organization that feeds hungry people in a third world country. And we're like, yeah, I love my neighbor. But the reality is, who are your neighbors? They're the people right around you, aren't they? And sometimes we think about our neighbors that live halfway across the world and we neglect our neighbor who sleeps in the same bed as us, right? Our closest neighbor is our spouse. Our closest neighbor is our family. The people who we are most in touch with, people who we spend the most amount of time with, the people who we spend day by day with, they are our neighbors. Our neighbors are also our coworkers or our church family, the people that we interact with on a regular basis, daily or weekly. They're our neighbors. And then, of course, our actual neighbors are also our neighbors. And God has called us to love all these people our spouse, our families, our church families, our coworkers, and those in our neighborhood. God's love for us is an opportunity for us to love each other. That's what we're going to dig into today. Paul continues, For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So there he's kind of quoting Jesus, right? He's referencing Jesus. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. 
actions have consequences. If you're highly competitive and you're trying to devour each other, you're going to be devoured. And then he says this, live by the spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul here, he spends a lot of time in this passage dealing with these two, there are two opposing forces. There's the Holy Spirit and there's the flesh. And our flesh is, uh, our flesh includes our physical body, but our flesh isn't only our, our physical body. Uh, in fact, our bodies can be used for a lot of good. God has given us our bodies and it's with our hands that we serve each other. It's with our mouths that we encourage each other. So our bodies are good, but the flesh is a metaphor for the wider system of how the world operates, which is selfishly. So the world operates in such a way that it tries to, to lift up itself and tries to prop up itself and make itself more successful, make itself better, make itself all these things. So it's kind of this inward focus. Another way that you could say flesh is selfish desires. That's maybe how you could translate that as well. That it's anything that, that is about me and about me being better, about me being more successful, about me being smarter and stronger and those types of things. It's all of that that builds into that, uh, the flesh. It's all about me and what I want and what I need. So the flesh, this whole system, it wants to elevate itself. It wants to make itself better. And here, Paul says, instead... Live by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. So in the Christian life, this is a little sidebar, in the Christian life, we can get better and we ought to get better. We can day by day grow in grace and become more and more like Jesus. We can day by day be uh, happier, healthier, more wholesome individuals. And we're going to see how, how uh, the Spirit does that here in a little bit. But what we don't do is we don't do that for ourselves. So Christianity is not a self-help program. It's not about me being better for myself. But instead what it is, is I want to be more, uh, I want to be healthier, and I want to be, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll talk about this here with the fruit of the Spirit. I want to be more loving and more patient for other people. That's what drives us to grow, is for our neighbors, not necessarily for ourselves. And so this is what Paul says, by contrast to the, to the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have, been, have crucified the flesh with passions and desires. So Paul says here that the Christian is led by the Spirit, lives in the Spirit, and therefore the Christian has the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We have all of these things, and all of these things are for the good of our neighbors. Because here's the deal. My wife could use me being a little bit more loving. And I bet your spouse could too. Your spouse could use you being a little bit more patient. Your family could use you being a little bit more peaceful and joyful, right? Our loved ones desperately need us to be better and God has given us a way to be better. It's the fruit of the Spirit. 
that our loved ones and our neighbors and our coworkers, they could use us being more loving and more joyful and more peaceful and more patient in all of these good things. And our desires to be more loving, our desire to be more patient, our desire to be more kind does not come from any sort of desire that I myself just want to have a better life. It's so that my wife and my kids can have a better life, so that this church can be more successful, so that God's mission can be done here in this church and in this community, so that my coworkers can have a better coworker. That's what should drive all this growth. Not simply because I want a better life, but because I want a better life for my loved ones. And I noticed this uh, a few years ago when, uh, I don't know, it was probably four years ago, five years ago, um, I heard someone mention this, uh, but I, we were, we had some friends over, we had some guests over at our house, and, you know, we were doing the typical host thing, which Sarah and I, we love hosting people in our house, you know, we love having people over, uh, you know, you get your house nice and clean. It's a good excuse to clean, do a deep clean of your house, right? So you clean your house and you have them over. And, you know, I realized that I was like waiting on these people, right? I was getting them their drinks. I was getting them whatever they needed. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't think I've ever done this for my wife. I don't think I've ever waited on my wife hand and foot the way that I wait on these guests hand and foot. And it dawned on me that we treat people that we barely know that come into our house way better than we treat our families. And that was the first time that I realized that what I was doing is I was using the best of me to make, to be more impressive, right? To, to be more well-liked to others. And my family, at that time, really only my wife, was kind of getting the worst of me. And so that's when I began to flip in my life, when I began to think and become more aware of that. And so now in my own life, I want to be more confident and I want to be more loving. I want to be more patient and I focus on developing those things in my life, not because I want a better life, but because I want my sons to be better men. I want them to be better fathers and husbands because I want them to have an impact on their community wherever they end up. And so it's no longer just about me being better, but now it's about my family circle. And if I'm more, if I, if I have uh, more self-control, if I'm more faithful to and have more integrity in my promises and what I say I'm going to do, guess what? My coworkers are going to appreciate that a lot more. And as a pastor, that means that this church is going to be more successful. That means that people are going to get more care and things are going to be better because I've done the work of growing. But it's not because of me. It's because of everyone else, because my desire is for that, for others to be better, for others to grow, for others to have a better life. That's how the Spirit works in us. So we all have this desire to get better. But the difference is that if you want to get better just so your life is better, it's never going to work. You're never going to make it. You're going to get down on yourself. You're going to fall off the train and you're not going to be able to get back on. But notice here, in the fruit of the Spirit, if we read this passage, there's no command. There's no demand of Paul. This is not Paul wagging his finger at the Galatians, saying, be more loving, be more patient, be more peaceful. This is a promise. 
He says, this is the fruit of the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit within you, you have these things. They're yours. And guess what? The same Holy Spirit that led Jesus, the same Holy Spirit that guided Jesus, that strengthened him, that, made, that helped him be loving and patient and kind, that same Holy Spirit that he had, you have. It's no different. There's no second class Holy Spirit that we have that Jesus didn't have. We have it. By the Holy Spirit, we are offered the life of Jesus with all of its peace and all of its love and all of its kindness and all of its self-control. It's ours. And if we ever don't attain that, if we ever fall off or tip back and forth, it's actually an issue of faith. It's an issue of faith, not necessarily an issue of capacity. It's not because we're not loving enough. We are loving enough. We have the Holy Spirit. But it's because I'm not trusting the Holy Spirit enough. I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit enough. Uh, Sarah and I, we had this funny way of, uh, of dealing with each other. We had a particularly hard day earlier this week, and you know, life with little kids is tough, right? Toddlers are just difficult, and especially if you've got multiple little toddlers in your house. I mean, kids can just be really frustrating, and it's easy to get into the grind, and it's easy to get frustrated and to start, you know, slipping a little bit, living in the flesh a little bit more. And so there was kind of a hard day earlier with the kids and how, you know, how we were dealing with them. And, and when Sarah and I have hard days like that, depending on who has the hard day, the, it's the other one's responsibility to make sure that the word of God is preached to them. So in this case, with the one of us that had a hard day, the other one said, hey, you know, you're not good enough, but Jesus is. And you have his love. You have his patience. Yeah, you did that wrong, but you're forgiven, and now you got to move on. Because getting better is a matter of trust. It's a matter of trusting in the Holy Spirit and what he has said about you. That you have love, and you have joy, and you have peace, and you have these things. And sometimes we just get too caught up in our own thoughts. We, we start believing all the wrong voices. And we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded so God is the one who does the growing. He has given us all that we need. It is possible and achievable to live a Christ-like life because you have the Holy Spirit. Miraculous, amazing Holy Spirit. And he speaks to you through promises that you have these things and it's a matter of trusting in his voice instead of trusting in the voice of your own mind or the world. Paul continues, if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. So he says here, if you are living by the Spirit, yes, in one sense, your ticket is punched. In one sense, the Holy Spirit has filled you, God has saved you, you have eternal life. You have it. It's yours. But really, that's not the point. Because eternal life would be pretty rotten if it were this life forever. Which is sometimes how we behave. <laughs> we behave as if we can just like, death is just going to be a reprieve. 
And finally, we can live the eternal life that God has promised. But that, Jesus never had that in mind. Paul does not have that in mind. If we live by the Spirit, which we all do, if we have the Holy Spirit, we are new in Christ. If we live by the Spirit, then let us be guided by the Spirit. Let us follow the Spirit as it leads us in our life. Let us listen to his voice as he speaks the word of God to us. Don't just settle for eternal life later. You can have eternal life now. You can live in the new creation now. The same Holy Spirit that resurrected Jesus after he was crucified is the same Spirit that lives in you now. We are new creatures that live in new creation presently. We're never going to get it all right. Okay, so this isn't rose-colored glasses. This isn't nothing's going to be, you know, everything's going to be easy from now on. That's not the way it is. Life is struggle. And every day we got to struggle. And it's a struggle of belief. Are we going to listen to God? Are we going to listen to our world? But this is what we have. We have the Holy Spirit who leads us to live a life oriented toward other people. We have an almost endless possibility of growth and development. And if we're so focused on ourselves and our own little problems and getting better for ourselves, it's never going to be enough. We're never going to be enough. But the Spirit drives us to love others and to seek to do better by them just the way that Jesus did. The same Spirit that led Jesus to be incarnate in flesh to die on the cross for us is the same Spirit that dwells in you and leads you to be a better parent, grandparent, brother, sister, cousin, aunt, uncle, coworker, whatever it is that you do, that Holy Spirit lives in you and empowers you to do that the way that Jesus would. Hey.